We're going to talk today about what I call their kind of people. You know, Donald McGavern wrote a book called Our Kind of People, and he was actually trying to talk about dispersing the gospel to different people groups in India. And that's kind of flipped backwards, and people view that as a racist statement that we only want to worship with our kind of people. But I want us to think about their kind of people, and I've called this following the Oikos pathway of evangelism. What's an oikos? Well, all of us have hundreds of friends, but few acquaintances. In fact, there are probably not more than about 20 people who would make up our extended household, whether that's blood relatives or friends, neighbors, people that we spend a lot of time with in a month. Uh, at least an hour in some kind of meaningful conversation. That may be somebody that's in a lifestyle group, a hobby group, whatever it is, something in the workplace that binds you to these other people. And as we think about this, oikos is a basic human identifier. I mean, it's like God invented oikos. Uh, in every culture of the world, uh, in every ethnicity of the world, people gather themselves together in these groups. In fact, we could almost think of them as small churches without the Lord in them. And the, the goal here is to figure out how to penetrate other people's oikos, how to get into places where the gospel hasn't gone. The problem is, though we're talking about their kind of people, too often the churches that we lead are about our kind of people. And, you know, I know I'm kind of riding a hobby horse here. This is very, very important, not just to me, but to the world that we live in. We are not fulfilling the Great Commission the way that we have been doing church. And so I want us to really consider our own oikos, uh, the oikoses that we uh, somehow tunnel into. You know, I'm, I'm a part of this group. This is my group. These are my kind of people. Uh, they teach me how to live, how to expect to live, how to respond to various situations without even thinking about it, because this is what they would do. But then usually I'm a fringe member of another oikos. So that kind of makes me a bridge person in between the two. And it's really there that we want to go because we've got a lot of people inside of our churches that have fringe membership in other oikoses. And so one of the things that we want to really think about is that Jesus constantly invaded the different oikoses of the, the people around him. He's at the, the house of Matthew. He's at the house of Zacchaeus. But he's also eating dinner with a Pharisee when the lady comes and and, and dumps perfume on his feet and the whole thing. And so, you know, he, he goes to the household of a ruler because the, the, the daughter has passed away. He is here, there, and everywhere. He's in Peter's house. And so as we get into this concept of uh, the word oikos, the Greek word in the New Testament, uh, expanding, meaning house, literally, but quite often meaning household, or an extended group of people in the way that you would be talking about the British crown. Um, you're not thinking about just the crown that goes upon the queen or the king's head. You're thinking about all that the crown symbolizes. And so as you go through the New Testament and do the exegesis, you find out that the word oikos um, very, very often is used to symbolically describe a group of people outside of a, of a blood-related household. And Jesus was really good at getting into those things. Unfortunately, the way that we do church today often separates people from their native 
oikos, and whether that means their blood relatives or their friendships or their identification groups, whatever they be, uh, we pull them into the church and we get them so busy with the programs and all the stuff that we're doing that they no longer are capable of doing what new converts do the best. And that's really functioning as evangelists and bringing people to the Lord. And so as we think about this, we want to kind of go back to the first century church. We know that the first century church penetrated the various oikoses around them. And for instance, we read in Acts chapter 2 that the people were meeting in the temple courts and then they were meeting from house to house. Uh, you know, I've thought about this recently. It just, it just dawned on me after all these decades of ministry that, you know, I, I always looked at, well, we can get all the people into the temple courts if we <clears throat> have eight or nine meetings a week there. I doubt that they did that, especially by Acts chapter 5, when the church has spread pretty much throughout Judea. Long walk involved there. This is a house church or a household church movement as we see it at its very inception. Now, I'm not holding out for the house only. All I'm saying is we need to use the oikos as a pathway into evangelism. And so, you know, you read in Acts chapter 5 that they were meeting from house to house. And one person who picked up on that very quickly was Saul of Tarsus. And he used the, the threads, the, the, the tunneling, the um, the, the, the one group who, person who's a part of one oikos but also has one foot in another oikos to follow those pathways into persecuting the saints. I'm very interested when I read about Peter in the household of Simon the Tanner and he's actually part of that household. He's living there when he has this vision about crossing cultures and getting into the Gentile world and then he ends up in the oikos of this person named Cornelius, who God responds to Cornelius because of the good deeds he does, because of his prayers, and he sends Peter to him to join with his oikos, and that entire household uh, became followers of Jesus Christ. Wonderful, wonderful thing. But here's a problem. Most of us who are Christian leaders can't really identify anyone in our oikos who's not also a believer. You know, for years, I've been frustrated by the fact that I kind of live in a Christian ghetto. As I look at this thing, I, I look at different times in my life when I just learned to go and hang out with people who are a little different than me. Uh, there was a time that I was uh, doing auto body work, restoring cars, uh, painting them, flipping them. I used to just love to go hang out at the paint store. Now, I'm pastoring a congregation probably of a membership of 3,000 at the time. I always wondered, could I run a business? You know, it didn't kind of really dawn on me that running a big church was a lot like running a business. <clears throat> but I wanted to see if I could make this thing work. And I was trying to save money to buy another piece of real estate and what have you. But I just love to go hang out in the paint shop where I'd buy the, the painting supplies because I got to rub shoulders with people who weren't in my church. And, uh, I, you know, I had several places, other auto body shops where they had taught me to do things. I had hired a bunch of guys to uh, polish out the cars that I do. I, I was at that time uh, painting with a finish that you had to polish it after it was done or it just wasn't going to shine. And oddly, I, there were these guys at this car wash who had this little auto detailing business. And for a very good price, I could hire them to, 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 to sand. It's called color sanding, very lightly sand, and then polish a Porsche or a BMW or whatever it was that I had finished. 
Turned out the reason I was getting such a good deal was they were dealing cocaine on the side. They all went to jail, but that's a whole nother story. But the problem is that uh, most of us don't really have access to what I'm going to call an oikos chain. And that is, there's nobody in my oikos who's connected to another oikos that are, is largely made up of non-believing people. That's a frustration for me. Recently, I read a book on evangelism. In fact, it was just last week. And, and actually made a list of four different restaurants and coffee shops near my house where I think if I'd start just maybe one day a week, every Friday, I'm going to go in there for lunch and just hang out and try to get to know the regulars, hoping that it will probably help me to get to know some people in my community who don't know Jesus, because that's really lacking in my life. And it's probably lacking in yours. And you need to give it another thought. You know, I've, I've kind of got this down to two out of the four places. One's a Mexican restaurant where I really don't like the food, but the UPS store where I received my Amazon shipments, those people eat lunch there. And so I'm thinking maybe I should try to get close to them. On the other hand, I walk my neighborhood, which is mostly made up of cultural Christians from Iraq. And there's a Mediterranean restaurant where the menu is in English and Arabic, very near our house. And I'm thinking if I go there, they probably are some of the clients there. I just want to get to know people. I want to get outside of my little circle, my comfortable circle of Christians. Now, as we get into this, I, I, I just kind of enlisted a little help from the world of missiology here. Uh, missiologists, and I've simplified the terms a little bit, talk in, in these three terms. There are major cultural groups. Now, you're going to think of these mostly in terms of their religious belief, uh, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, uh, the ethno-religious, maybe a tribe up the Amazon, and the non-religious, uh, this being a religious stance of, uh, say, Western Europe, people who have passed from Christianity into a post-Christian era. So that is the major cultural groups, and there are seven of those that they can identify in the world. And then, secondly, there are the ethno-linguistic people. These are people who are tied together by their DNA, but also by language. And you would have a group like the Kurds who live in seven or eight different, um, mostly Arabic and Persian nations. And yet they're kind of a nation of their own. Uh, they, they share commonality in terms of their uh, genetic makeup. They also share commonality in terms of language. In fact, we can identify 4,500 such groups in the world. And then last is the one that I'm the most interested in because it has the greatest bearing on you and what you do in the United States. And this is called social people groups, um, social people groups. There are things that attach these people together that go way beyond the color of their hair or the language that they speak. In fact, what we find is that in India, um, there are 1,600 major languages. So this would be the ethno-linguistic groups. But beyond that, uh, religion, caste, um, social standing, finances, whatever, they can identify over 4,650 distinct people groups in India. And now back to Donald McGavern, where he says, our kind of people, or I'm saying their kind of people, you need 4,650 different ways to evangelize their, those kind of people, their kind of people on their terms. And the big problem here is that we're always trying to reach people on our terms. You know, Americans go into other cultures and teach them how to plant churches. I've been one of those. 
if we're not really careful, we don't understand the culture and we teach things that are actually counterproductive to the gospel. But when we get into the United States, uh, we're most concerned with the ethno-linguistic and socio-people group. Now, the ethno-linguistic are the recent immigrants from another country. They're bound together by their ethnicity. They're also bound together by the languages that they speak. One thing that was an awakening to me is to discover that not all Hispanics can understand each other when they're speaking Spanish. There are so many different little you know, differences country by country that makes it difficult for them to communicate to each other. We need to think of them as distinct people groups from distinct countries. But then there are also these other subcultures that are making up any community. A list would include uh, hotel maids in Honolulu who ride the same bus for 40 miles from West Oahu to Waikiki every day to and from work. Uh, they get to become friends with each other. They become a, a social people group. You could think about the leftover hippies in your community because there are a bunch of them and usually they know each other. Uh, there are little conclaves of people who are into art, into different kind of music. I found recently, again, trying to penetrate the culture that I live in, that there are people who are really into bluegrass music in the community where I live. And I like bluegrass music. So I'm thinking that may be a pathway for me to explore, to find people who don't know Jesus yet. Of course, there's the bikers. There's uh, people who are into skateboarding. Uh, there's also the inline skaters. And then there's those golfers who basically, they don't, they're not in church. They put golf in front of their family. Sometimes they use golf as a way of reaching into other oikoses as they're learning to do business with other people. So these are distinct people groups that we need to really think about as we get into uh, trying to look for pathways that would lead to greater evangelism. And it's wise for us to consider the cultural thresholds that we would have to cross if we're trying to reach to other people, or they would have to cross if they're hoping to um, associate with us. And so I've created something called an E-scale, an evangelism scale, if you would, to talk about the thresholds that you and I are going to have to cross if we want to reach into other people groups. And then I've created a, what I call a B scale or a barrier scale, the barriers that would hold people out of becoming members of our church, perhaps even if they were already evangelized. And so the E scale measures the cultural dis distances that Christians need to move in order to communicate the gospel in evangelism. And so E0 are Christ followers who are already in your church and actively engaged. There's no distance between you and them. E1 describes reaching your own culture outside the church culture. This would include evangelism of church-going cultural Christians and their children, as well as the people that you know who don't yet know Jesus on the outside. You just have to go a short distance culturally, uh, sociologically to meet with these people. E2 is cross-cultural and it's two steps removed. You're a little different than them culturally in a secular sense. And of course, you're different from them in that you believe the gospel and they don't yet. E3 is where evangelism takes the gospel to a culture that has not yet heard the gospel. So we would classically think of missions overseas, but then we need to think of missions right here and now. Seven miles from my house, there's a vast community of Syrians who are refugees from ISIS 
who moved into Turkey and then have moved to El Cajon, California. That would be E3 evangelism for me. And then E4 are those folks who are hostile to the gospel. Uh, they identify themselves as agnostics, as atheists, whatever. They're opposed to you and they're opposed to what you do. And you know what I think? I think you need a few of them in your life. Recently, a guy uh, took me on. I posted a YouTube video about apologetics and evangelism. And he, he wrote me this really long comment about how come he doesn't believe in God and it's all silly and we're stupid and all of that. And so I wrote it back and very respectfully thanked him for posting, uh, tried to engage him, uh, hoped that he would respond back to me and uh, he never did. Well, so here's a little picture of the evangelism scale. E0, born again and in church. E1, same culture, but outside of Christ. E2, different culture, but outside of Christ. E3, different culture, outside of Christ, having religious differences. And E4, they're of a different culture. They're outside of Christ. They have religious differences, and they are agnostic or atheist. Now here comes the B scale, the scale where we're saying to people, and this is what we mostly do, come to us. You know, we advertise our churches, whether it's through social media or word of mouth, whatever, but it's an invitation to people to come. And by and large, that this is the whole show in America. You know, come to our church, come hear our pastor, come hear our music, come see our beautiful light scale, whatever. And so the B scale il illustrates barriers that a potential believer must overcome in order to engage a church. There are sociological barriers of vocabulary, narrative, I mean, just the knowledge of scripture, all these things. The B scale measures the difficulty with the come form of evangelism as opposed to Christ's command for us to go. So B0 includes people who are already in the family of God and are involved in some expression of church. In other words, there's no threshold for them to cross because they're already in. B1 is a person who's exposed to a culturally relevant church by a friend who shares the same culture. Now, we're talking micro church here. And so what I'm talking about is it's a friendship circle that, you know, you, they all they have to do is uh, step across uh, this very, very short uh, cultural deal that gets them into a relationship with a different group of people. And here again is where oikos comes into play, is where microchurch is so important. B2 is where a person is separated both in the normal secular sense of the word, along with a spiritual separation of not understanding God or church culture at all. B3 are people who are in little contact with the gospel and must overcome the foreignness of the evangelist along with their personal views of God, plus the seeming confusion of the church culture. I mean, you think about this, when you do a B3 evangelism and you say to them, come, almost everything is confusing. You're confusing, your vocabulary is confusing, your culture is confusing, and certainly if they come to a meeting with you, they don't even know what to do. In some churches, it's stand up, raise your hand, sit down. Other churches, it's kneel at certain times, stand up at different times move forward for communion? Why put money in a bag instead of paying at the door? There are all kinds of questions that people have in, in, in terms of the barriers that stand between them and us. And of course, B4 is those people who are harboring animosity toward the gospel and toward Christians. The barrier scale, again, looks like B0 is already in, B1, they're outside of Christ, 
B2, there are secular differences and they're outside of Christ. B3, there are secular differences, they're outside of Christ and they have little or no knowledge of the gospel. B4, they have secular differences, they're outside of Christ, they have animosity toward the gospel and they have religious reasons, uh, sometimes because of a religion they're in or sometimes their religious region, reason is that they have adopted a religion of atheism. I want us to talk just a little bit about strategizing our personal oikos. The first thing that I want you to think of is listing the people in your oikos, and then we're going to sort them. So you write the names of the people that you interact with daily, weekly, or monthly, but you only list those people that you take time to talk with at least an hour in a month. And you cap the list of 20 people, no more than 20 people. Second step is to identify your oikos on the E scale. Put a cross next to people who you would identify as E0. And then an E1 next to those who are culturally like you, but still outside of Christ. E2 are those that you spend with, time with who are from a distinctly different culture than yours, who also do not know Christ. Finally, mark those who are outside of Christ culturally different from you and without knowledge of the gospel as the three. And if you happen to know anybody that's in E4, well, mark them E4. And now ask yourself what percent of your oikos fall into either E0 or the E1 category. It's probably a very, very high percentage. And then ask yourself, what can I do to basically get involved with people who are very, very unlike me in terms of E2, E3, or E4. And then finally, consider how to directly engage more of those people. Now, when I say this, what I'm actually talking about is look at an individual and say, how am I going to get into his life? How am I going to tunnel into his life so that he becomes a part of my life and we go on from there? I want you to be thinking about friendship evangelism because that's what this is all about. And this is not just about you and I as leaders and people who are uh, intent on multiplying churches and using microchurch as a tool, now beginning to, to identify Oikos as a tool. Uh, this is really about training our people to do these things. And so it's all about friendship evangelism. And, um, you know, friendship evangelism is a, is a term that I've always used in my life and my ministry to describe the way that people come to Christ. You know, we used to survey our people and consistently year after year after year, 85 to 90% of the people who would sit there and listen to me on a weekend were somebody that was brought to the Lord through a friend. Now, the side door into our church is, is what I'm going to call a share group that, you know, I, I'm hanging out with you. Now I'm bringing a Christian friend or two, and we're all hanging out together. And at this point, it's not about evangelism. It's not about preaching the gospel. It's just about hanging out and becoming friends. And so the share group is a step into an oikos that, you know, members of my oikos are reaching out to you. We're hanging out together. Maybe we're out for coffee. Uh, maybe we play golf. Maybe, you know, we go surfing, whatever it is that we do. We, we do it together until there's love between us and uh, we've grown to know each other and until God comes up in normal conversation. You know, maybe there's a problem and you agree to pray for somebody. Uh, maybe there's a problem and you ask your non-Christian friend, friend to pray for you. I do that quite often and you'd be surprised at the responses that I get. And then you begin to bring them into your oikos, but the real gold is when they can take the gospel after they become a believer into their oikos, or 
they invite you into their oikos. And so we're, we're looking at these oikos chains, if you would, or friendship chains that we, we move from oikos to oikos, or we move the gospel into an oikos and the people there are capable of tunneling into another oikos with the gospel. Well, I hope this has been beneficial to you. I hope that you could take the PowerPoints that I've attached to this thing and be willing to share them with your friends. All these materials that, that we're looking at that we're providing together are really designed for you to uh, take it a step further and bring it into the life of the people that you serve and that you love.